this week on Backtable Innovation. When we did our randomized control trial, one of the anecdotal bits of evidence we got back from patients was, I really enjoyed doing the preconditioning at home. It gave me the opportunity to sit down and think about what I was about to go through and put me in the right frame of mind. And that was completely unintentional. We did not expect that, but it was so exciting because what we realized was that by doing this preconditioning, we were able to help patients engage in their healing journey, their surgical journey from the day before that they started this whole process. And that was all at home. So that was something we're super excited about. And you know, we really want to foster that feeling with Plexa. Welcome to Backtable Innovation. You can find all our previous episodes on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and at backtable.com. This is the next installment of Backtable, where you will learn from physicians and entrepreneurs working to drive healthcare forward. My name's Diana, and I'll be your host this week. I'm a physician and biomedical engineer in London, joining Backtable to bring more European voices to the show. Today, we'll be welcoming Sahil Mehta, a plastic surgeon, CEO, and founder of Plexa. Sahil, it's a pleasure to have you here. So just to start us off, why don't you introduce yourself to the audience? Thank you very much for having me. My name's Sahil Mehta. I am a plastic surgeon. I did all my training in London and I finished my training this year, actually, after 14 very, very long years in the NHS. I've also started Plexa, a startup where we are building something that I hope is going to improve the way that patients heal after surgery by actually intervening before surgery. And I've been doing that since 2018. And yeah, I'm really excited about the next steps that's going to come for Plexa. But I'm very excited to learn more. What does Plexa do? I'll take you back to the very beginning. So I was a, a house officer, so straight out of medical school, and I wanted to get into plastic surgery. And one of the things you have to do to try and get into competitive specialties is do some research. And so I was working at St. Thomas's Hospital and I contacted one of the consultants there, a guy called Jean Vahadi, who is a plastic surgeon in Switzerland now. And he gave me, he had two project ideas and one of them was sort of to do with a, a harmonic ultrasound knife. And the other one was to, to do with something called preconditioning. Now, I'd never heard of preconditioning and what had happened was that we were doing a new type of operation in breast reconstruction called a skin sparing mastectomy. Now, this is a type of mastectomy where you remove the breast through a cut that goes around your nipple. And what that allows is that you can take out the entire breast through that hole, so the circular hole that goes around the nipple, and it leaves behind this amazing skin, this skin envelope that is a really, really great vehicle for reconstruction and really gives amazing aesthetic results. But the problem that we were seeing was that when you do this operation and you do the mastectomy, you have to leave behind very thin skin. And one of the surgical principles are that thin skin has poor blood supply and doesn't heal very well. So what we were seeing was we were seeing something called skin necrosis. So that's essentially where the skin dies a little bit because of a disruption of its blood supply. And we were looking at ways of trying to prevent this and preconditioning was sort of touted as being this possible way of alleviating and preventing skin necrosis from actually happening and helping patients heal. So I decided to take on this project and yeah, it all started there and that was back in 2009. We've gone on from there and, and turned it into a fully fledged startup, which is quite exciting. That's incredible. You hear lots of doctors start research projects and it's amazing that you turned around and commercialized this. So talk me through the process a little bit more. So you're a house officer. So for our American colleagues, this is PGY1, PGY2. Were you doing lab-based research or was this more clinical research? Yeah, so this was all clinical research. So the concept of preconditioning had been researched in the laboratory previously on mice. 
And what had been demonstrated that essentially if you precondition mice before an operation and the operation was where you literally make a cut in the skin, you lift up a flap of skin and you put it back again, you actually found that these mice healed better and they had a 50% reduction in skin necrosis if they were preconditioned before they had this tiny operation. As I said, this had all been done in the laboratory. So we had, you basically call it the, the chemical pathway. So we had identified the chemical pathway. So we knew how it worked, but no one had ever taken it from the laboratory and tried it in humans. And so Jean Fahadi, the guy that the consultant I mentioned, he said, why don't we just try it? That's exactly what we did. We thought, okay, well, what's the way we can get this preconditioning to patients? And the way it had been done in the laboratory was these mice were heated to 43 degrees centigrade, which is about 109 degrees Fahrenheit about 24 hours before the operation for three half an hour bursts interrupted by half an hour breaks, which is like an intermittent type of heating. So it's like a, it's like a hit workout as it were. So it's interval training as it were. And what it did was it improved the blood supply to this area that was going to be operated on. The way it does that is that it causes the release of something called chaperone proteins in your cells. So essentially the principle is if you cause some form of stress to the body, or the skin prior to an operation. Now that stress can be in many ways. You can use cold, you can use heat, you can use trauma, you can use drugs. Actually, the most patient-friendly is heat. So we went with heat. What happens is you cause the release of these chaperone proteins in your cells. And these chaperone proteins basically help the normal function of your cells. They do things like stabilize the structure of DNA. They help certain enzymes work. But one of the really amazing things that they do is they cause the local release of carbon monoxide in your skin. Now we know carbon monoxide is a household poison, but actually what it causes is something called vasodilation, where all of your vessels open up and your blood flow to the skin improves. And the net result is that you end up with better blood flow, which means better oxygen delivery to the skin, which means better healing. So you essentially enhance your body's ability to heal. And so we were like, well, how are we going to get this concept of preconditioning from the laboratory to patients? That's the hard question. So we started to use, we decided to use hot, hot water bottles, which was a very, very crude, but Im amazingly simple way of doing this. Best way to start, isn't it? Yeah, totally. Mm. I, yeah, I became known as the house officer in the hospital as, that had a clipboard and a hot water bottle. And so I'd always get paged <laughs> to uh, the clinic saying that there was a, a patient who'd be suitable for doing this, uh, this type of preconditioning. These were breast reconstruction patients, actually. I'd rush over and consent this patient to taking part in this research study, give them a hot water bottle and also a protocol and a thermometer. <laughs> so I, I'd have a thermometer in my pocket as well. And what I'd do is I'd ask these patients to do the same protocol of heating up water to 43 degrees centigrade at home. And they would pour this into the hot water bottle and put it on the breast that was going to be operated on the next day. So they did this the day before surgery at home. And it was amazing. So we did a tiny trial of 26 patients. And we demonstrated that we could reduce skin necrosis in this group of patients undergoing breast reconstruction by 26%. And it was like, that's amazing. I mean, how did that happen? And we were able to demonstrate as well using something called a laser Doppler that we could, we could show that the blood flow had been changed, that we could improve the blood flow to the skin. Yeah, we used this laser Doppler and it showed this amazing like color picture of blood flow and how it changed. And one of the best pictures we, we did this on, sorry, that we got from this was a, was a patient, a young patient who was 32 years old, who was undergoing a bilateral mastectomy. So on both breasts, because she had the BRCA gene and the BRCA gene is basically the same kind of gene that Angelina Jolie had, where she was essentially someone who was going to get breast cancer. 
And so this young woman was going to have her breast removed and reconstructed and she heated and so preconditioned only the right breast. And what we were able to demonstrate, there was a, a complete difference between the blood flow to the right breast compared to the left breast. Wow. And that was amazing. And that ended up on the front cover of J-Press. <laughs> so. Well, it's amazing to see how such simple measures can demonstrate that concept. Just using the hot water alone improved the difference between one breast and the other, right? Yeah. That's fascinating. So you did the clinical trial as a house officer and then what? Yeah. So then we decided, okay, that was a decent small trial. It was only 26 patients, but we needed better evidence. So we applied to the NIHR, which is the equivalent of the NIH in America, for a grant to run a full randomized control trial. We were amazed that we actually won the grants because we were the first plastic surgeons ever to win a grant from the NIHR. I honestly don't think that the NIHR thought plastic surgeons were capable of doing real research. So we were really happy to win it. It was a big deal. So we ran a trial using the same protocol, using a hot water bottle on 141 patients. Um, and that was over four years. So it was, a, it was proper research and it was single blinded as well. And we developed a really good protocol to assess how patients were healing after their breast reconstruction. We showed some really important outcomes. The first was that we were able to reduce skin necrosis by 13%. And then the second was that we were able to halve the, the reoperation rate in these patients. And we were also able to reduce the outpatient follow-up in this group of patients by 70%. What we found was essentially that even if you got a complication, if you were preconditioned, you were able to go home on time and also heal at home rather than having to stay in hospital for any longer than you needed to. So we had this amazing kind of non-invasive preoperative intervention that was really simple to do and was demonstrating really good outcomes for these patients. The thing about breast reconstruction, it's an amazing operation, but it does have a really high complication rate. And that's all to do with that surgical principle that I mentioned earlier, which is that if you create thin skin, you have problems with healing. So we, we'd stumbled on and researched a way of preventing this and helping patients. So that's, that was the next step. And that was key in gathering our clinical evidence to take it to the next level. You got this NIHR grant. This study took four years. And then how did, how did the hot water bottle turn into what Plexa is today? So I remember you mentioning in the past that it used to be called hot bra. Is that... Is that what Plexa is? Essentially a bra that yeah. heats the breast that's, go <laughs> that's going to be treated? Yeah, it's not quite that. Yeah, you're absolutely right. It did used to be called Hot Bra. <laughs> that was kind of a, a name that we came up with in the pub one night. <laughs> so, so what it was was that, look, I've always, I've always had this drive that essentially I did a piece of research that showed some benefit to patients. I couldn't actually th think of anything worse than allowing that research to sit unused and gather dust in a medical journal on a medical school library and just fall into oblivion. So that's where Hotbra and now Plexa came from. So it was the way of scaling and getting the whole concept of preconditioning to all patients. Now, the thing is, is a lot of people say to me, like, this is a really simple concept. Why is no one doing this at the time? And honestly, it's because there isn't a solution to deliver this to patients in a very convenient and simple to use way. The other thing is, is that when we're taught at medical school about operations and post-operative care, we actually neglect the pre-operative phase of anyone's surgical journey. So this is the part of the journey that we were absolutely, yeah, we were absolutely trying to make the most use of and exploit in some ways. And so that was why we built Plexa. We built Plexa to bring preconditioning to all patients. And it's not just for breast reconstruction patients, but that's where we're starting. It can actually be used for all surgeries 
particularly in those surgeries where you think there may be the risk of a wound healing complication happening. Right. So what kind of other surgeries have you guys explored? Yeah, so we've looked at other areas of surgery. So what's really interesting, we were exhibiting at the Future Surgery Conference in London only a few weeks ago, and we were approached by orthopaedic surgeons. Now, orthopaedic surgeons operate on parts of the body with thin skin, such as the ankle, the knee, the spine. And actually, as a plastic surgeon, I've had to help orthopaedic surgeons with wound breakdowns and get those wounds covered because often there's exposed metal work underneath. They were all asking, well, is this something you could use for these types of operation? And absolutely, yes. So our plan with Plexa is to go further from breast reconstruction into things like orthopaedics, into other areas of surgery as well, such as general surgery, ENT surgery, etc. Wherever you think there may be a wound healing complication, that there's a real risk of that happening. That's great. So just to summarise, so you started as a house officer, you had this small research project where, you know, you were taking hot water bottles down to a clinic. This has developed into Plexa that you said is a, it's a very user-friendly method of taking the preconditioning to the patient's home. Tell me a little bit more about that. What does it look like? Is it a sort of like a hot, a hot blanket? What, what makes it so usable? Yes, yeah, so that's a really interesting question. So we built Plexa around the patient. So it is not a bra and it's not a blanket. So it's actually an insert that goes into a patient's own bra. So what we didn't want to do was over-medicalize the whole patient journey because the intention for Plexa is that it's going to be used at home. The way it works is it's, a, it's currently like a cup that you put in your bra and you put over your breast, just over the nipple. Inside the, the insert itself, there is a, what's called a flexible PCB, which stands for principal circuit board that has heating elements in it that deliver the 43 degrees centigrade to the skin and in that, we have six sensors, and those sensors are able to tell us that we're, we are delivering what we want, so the 43 degrees centigrade, to the skin in a really accurate and safe way. Now, I want to highlight why it needs to be safe, because a lot of these patients have preoperative radiotherapy, and radiotherapy is really something that kind of, it, we say that it cooks the tissue, and what a lot of these patients have is they have altered sensation, so they need to make sure that whatever they're delivering to their skin is absolutely safe because what we don't want is for them to have a burn. So some people have said, you know, why can't you just use a hot water bottle? Well, you can't on these patients because it's dangerous. And so that's what's, what Plex is about. It's all about safe, accurate and localized preconditioning. Now that device all connects to your smartphone and you can see the sensors on your smartphone in this amazing kind of color changing diagram. And it gives the patient and the clinician peace of mind to know that they're getting the right preconditioning that the protocol has been done correctly and it essentially controls the entire process for the patient so they don't even have to think about it. So it's a really easy way of getting this done. If I were a patient, I'd come to clinic and this insert would be handed to me by a surgeon. I take it home and it's sort of, you know, like opening a new Apple MacBook. You, you take out the insert, download the app and you're able to sort of use it straight away? Yeah, absolutely. So we, we want to go one step further than that. In fact, we don't want to have it necessarily delivered by nurses in clinic or surgeons. What was, since I've worked in hospital pretty much all my life, what I've noticed is that the shelf space is of premium value. And what we don't want to do with Plexa is take up shelf space because we think that that's actually going to be one of our barriers to adoption. So And bandwidth of where things are. Yeah, exactly, because no one will be able to find it. So what we want is the surgeon or nurse to just literally click a button on something like Epic, for example, and we get the notification at Plexa and we can mail the device directly to the patient. As you say, they download the app and then the rest is simple to use. It takes you through the entire process. 
And it just means patients will, will be able to use it um, without any issues. And is this something that, so you said that this is just in the preoperative period and the protocol back in your house officer days was just one half an hour burst, right? What does the protocol look like today? So the protocol today is what it was in those days, actually. So it's the same thing is three half an hour bursts of preconditioning interrupted by half an hour breaks. So like intermittent training. So it's like, you know, when you go to the gym and you do reps of, of something. So, so that's how it works. Now, I love this concept of preconditioning. It's like making your body elite, no? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So one of the concepts that we talk about in this preconditioning phase is something called supraphysiological. It's a really big word that doesn't exactly roll off the tongue, but all it means is that it's, it's slightly higher than your normal body's kind of normal homeostasis, as it were. So your normal body temperature is like between 36 and 37 degrees. 43 degrees is supraphysiological, so a bit higher. So it causes stress, but it doesn't cause a burn. And it's that amount of stress that causes the release of these special proteins in your cells that give you all the benefits of preconditioning. So Sahil, I want to hear a little bit more about how this turned into a commercial product. So we've talked a lot about how you've turned it from a very small research project and scaled it to something that's backed by NAHR, about how it's turned from a hot water bottle to an insert that a patient can receive just before their operation. Can you tell me a little bit more about how you pushed it over the line to make it a, a product that was commercially available? Yeah, so we, we're a little bit we're a little bit before that actually. So we're not quite commercially available yet. But what we were able to do was create a product that works and that patients can actually wear. So a super exciting thing happened recently that we did our first healthy patient volunteer trial with the prototypes that we've built. And so these were healthy women that agreed to try the product itself, and we were really really happy and pleased with the feedback we got. Now, don't get me wrong, there's lots of things that we need to improve. But generally, all of them said, look, this was really comfortable to wear. The heat that, was, it was de- that it was delivering was really pleasant. I'd found the app easy to use. And yeah, I would consider using this if I had to. So the next stage for us is absolutely about getting it to that commercial, commercial phase. And it's so tricky to do. What are you guys, what's the help you need to take it over that step? Is it regulatory approval? Yeah, absolutely. Where are you starting? Is this in the UK, the US? What market are you going after? So we've taken the decision to go for the UK and the US. Europe is on our radar. It's just that there have been some regulatory changes that mean that we want to concentrate on two important markets that have a much well-trodden pathway. So our clinical trials demonstrated clinical correlation between preconditioning and improved wound healing outcomes in breast reconstruction patients. So what we need to do is demonstrate the next step, which is we have technical validity. So that is to say that what we have built as a prototype is safe to use, is feasible, and that patients can basically learn how to use it without too much trouble. And that's our next hurdle to get over. And to do that, we've, we've agreed some trials at some really important institutions, both here and in the US. And we are like super, super excited to, to bring this to those institutions to try on patients. Great. So you're on your journey to get regulatory approval and you're after the US and the UK market. I'd love to understand a little bit more about what it takes to overcome this regulatory hurdle. Um, So you've said that the trials will involve looking at human factors, looking at usability. Do you have any more work to do in terms of proving its efficacy or is all the work that you've done in the past, um, is that enough to satisfy the regulators? Yeah, that's a really, really good point, actually. So we were fortunate enough to win another NIHR grant recently. It was uh, an Invention for Innovation grant that was going to answer this regulatory problem. 
the the work we've done already what we believe is that it's enough to at least satisfy the regulator about the clinical correlation and association between preconditioning and improved wound healing outcomes what we are now showing them through this technical phase is that we've developed a device that delivers this preconditioning in a super ultra precise and safe way what we are not trying to do is demonstrate that we are changing the world in one go with plexa you know it's a stepwise process so once we've got it regulated and out onto patients then we will start to do our big randomized control trials the randomized control trial we did um, previously was 141 patients and it was really well designed and you know it's a good start but we do have a lot more work to do but that's the kind of the exciting bit you know we want to see this out on patients doing what we believe it can do for them and really helping them with their outcomes and healing well after surgery and, and getting home on time. Sahil, I'd love to understand what kind of feedback have you got from doctors? Um, are they very amenable to the solution? You know, they really are, actually. So because we've got a scientific mechanism and a whole bunch of animal trials that demonstrate how preconditioning works, it's a much, much easier thing to sell to doctors. So they understand the principle. Um, and they, they also, there's this growing tide of an awareness that the preoperative phase is a really underutilized part of the patient's journey where we can do so much intervention to improve outcomes. I mean, me as a patient, I'd want to know what can I do to maximize my ability to heal, my ability to recover after my surgery. If you think about running a marathon, you're not going to go and just run a marathon without doing any kind of preparation. So this is the preoperative phase that we're talking about. So doctors, doctors are understanding and what well, surgeons and nurses, they're, they're all understanding that essentially there's more we can do. You know, there is absolute appetite for let's see how this preconditioning can help our patients, especially because we've already got some really good clinical research. So and that's really exciting. And on that note, how have you tackled reimbursement? Because I guess this is adding something to the standard of care as opposed to following the pathway that already exists. Reimbursement is a tricky one. I think anyone who's tried to develop any kind of medical intervention. For any healthcare company. For anyone, yeah. So it's the kind of holy grail. We've looked at two things. We've looked at the ambulatory and outpatient care type method of reimbursement. So finding a code that translates into that period of care, but also bundling it up into the operative phase of treatment where there's lots of codes we can do that. Now, because Plexa is primarily supposed to be used on patients to improve outcomes after surgery, there's every reason to use it in the operative phase, as in part of the reimbursement strategy. But, you know, this is a big question that we need to answer. And certainly 2023 is one of those, is, is the time we're going to sit down and really, really answer that question. Yeah, it's not an easy one. I don't think the solution will be the same in the UK and the US. It'll be a difficult one to tackle for sure. So Sahil, I'd love to learn a little bit more about you. I didn't realize you lived in LA as well. That's cool. Were you, did you practice in, in Los Angeles? No, so I, I had a, an opportunity that I couldn't turn down. So that was, I went to work in Irvine. I lived in Los Angeles and used to commute to Irvine using the subway and train and my Brompton bicycle, which was very un-LA. And I had this opportunity to go and develop Plexa, actually, with another British startup when I was out there. But it didn't work out, unfortunately. We were going to do a joint venture. And I mean, I worked with just the most amazing man. His name was Michael Sears. And he was a transplant patient and had built this smart ostomy bag when he had set up a company called Eleven Health. And when we met, I told him about Plexa. He was actually called Hot Bra at the time. And he said, well, can you tell me more about it? And I explained it. And then he said, you know, I quite like this. So do you have anything more to tell me? And I said, well, I've actually got my laptop with me. 
So I took him through like the world's crappiest presentation. I mean, it was awful. But at the end of it, he said, okay, I really, really like this. Why don't you come out here? I've got engineers. I think I can help you. So let's do a joint venture. And so I did. And I took time out of training. But unfortunately, the pandemic hit. Michael got very sick, not because of COVID, but he was a transplant patient and he, he died, unfortunately. So it kind of put the spanner in the works for what I was doing. And so when I got back, we took the decision to leave Los Angeles in um, August 2020, basically when Gavin Newsom said the schools are shut indefinitely and we just, it was unsustainable. We just couldn't do anything. Our kids were like running riot and stuff like that. So we decided to come back to London and I got back to London and that's when things started to pick up again because I got a new investor. So that was a, that was a big, big jump actually, big leap forward. Sahil, it'd be great to hear a bit more about why you chose uh, breast patients. Is there anything in particular that drew you to this group? So this is a, that's a really interesting thing, actually. I kind of fell into this, like, I mean, I know that's so cliche, but, you know, the person, the consultant that I approached about this type of research, he was a breast reconstruction surgeon. Sorry, he is a breast reconstruction surgeon. And what I found amazing about this group of patients is they are so motivated. I mean, unbelievably motivated. They, you know, get this really terrible diagnosis. And they are, they, they go into overdrive of what can I do to help myself? And so actually what's really interesting about this group as well, and this type of procedure is that even though we've gotten better at doing the surgery, the complication profile, so the problems with wound healing complications, et cetera, are actually still relatively high. That is all because of the problems of a surgical principle, as I've mentioned, which is by doing the operation, you create thin skin and thin skin doesn't heal particularly well. In this group of patients, one in three will have some form of surgical complication following breast reconstruction. And one in five of those patients will end up going back to the OR to, to sort out that problem, essentially. And what we're able to do by preconditioning is reduce those numbers, essentially. And like I say, this group of patients, massively motivated. They were so easy to include in the research because they just did it and they did everything well. Our compliance rate on our randomized control trial with the preconditioning protocol, bearing in mind these patients were doing it at home on their own, was 98%. And I don't think there is any trial in the world that has such such good compliance rates. And, and honestly, that's all due to these this amazing group of patients. Wow. And this is because they're, you know, they're very motivated to get the best outcome after surgery, right? Are they mainly responding that way because of they're worried about aesthetic reasons or is it that they just want to heal quicker and get going? What sort of feedback you've got? I think it's a combination, you know. The thing about breast cancer is that when women get this, they are generally well, you know, they don't, they're not sick. They suddenly notice a lump. They go to the doctor. The doctor asks them some questions. They go have a biopsy. They have a scan, all that kind of stuff. And they get this really terrible diagnosis. And they are well. They probably feel okay. But actually, you know, they've got this crazy, awful thing hanging over their heads. And it is us, the medical profession, the surgeons that drive a bus at them. We're the ones that do this surgery to them. A, okay, to cure them, but also they, you know, they have to recover. They also often have to have preoperative radiotherapy and chemotherapy. So we essentially, as a medical profession, make them sit in order to cure them. So what I've noticed, at least from the patients I've spoken to over the years, is that they're really motivated, yeah, to, to do something to improve their outcomes. So when we did our randomized control trial, 
one of the anecdotal bits of evidence we got back from patients was, I really enjoyed doing the preconditioning at home. It gave me the opportunity to sit down and think about what I was about to go through and put me in the right frame of mind. And that was completely unintentional. We did not expect that, but it was so exciting because what we realized was that by doing this preconditioning, we were able to help patients engage in their healing journey, their surgical journey from the day before that they started, you know, they started this whole process and that was all at home. So that was something we're super excited about. And, you know, we really want to foster that feeling with Plexa. And you can't underestimate the power of that, right? When you're treating patients and you can get them on board with the journey, it makes all the difference in the world. Absolutely. I, I've, I mean, I've seen it throughout my surgical career. Engaged and motivated patients always do better, regardless. I mean, hands down. So we, we, what we want to do with Plexa is help patients get to that point. So we've talked a lot about your story and the way that you've built Plexa from many academic projects. But what was it like going through that process? How did you balance having a clinical career with doing all this academic work and keeping that commercial endpoint in mind? Well, it's, I mean, it's, <laughs> it's, it's not been easy, but I don't know. I, I just, I just decided to do it. It was just get on and do it. And it's lucky that I enjoyed it as well. So balancing the clinical research was pretty tough, but actually it taught me loads of useful skills like teamwork and managing a group of people to deliver a clinical trial and all this kind of thing. And really, you know, the whole commercial side of it has been an absolute learning journey and one that I'm, I'm very much learning still on. We're not taught about this sort of thing at medical school um, and, it become, and it's actually much harder than you think. And I, I know that a lot of doctors think they know how to do this kind of stuff, but actually what I found is that my knowledge was so limited. But as I say, by talking to the right kind of people and asking lots of questions and actually just not being afraid of talking to anybody, I managed to, to bring this kind of academic project that started as kind of like a, a CV building project to this fully funded startup that hopefully we're going to change the way that people can prepare for surgery. Yeah. That's, it's always the zero to one that's hard, right? You just got to get out there and do it. Absolutely. And, you know, for anyone else who's thinking of trying to do this kind of mad journey, I would just encourage them to just go for it. You know, you're going to make a lot of mistakes. You're going to learn an awful lot. And you just got to kind of build that resilience to make sure that you can keep going. You know, I've had some pretty dark days during this journey, but there actually is not one day that I haven't enjoyed despite all of that. And it's that enjoyment and actually seeing this kind of bit of research that brought some benefit to patients, seeing its possibilities is, is what drives me forward. And who's been there um, along the way? Has, who has been the critical team members that have helped you get Plexa where it is today? It's, it's, you know, there's been a lot of people along the way and I've worked with some amazing designers, some amazing engineers. You know, I've had so much support and I, 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 it'd be really difficult to list everybody. Obviously, there's my wife who uh, puts up with a lot of this and, um, you know, keeps me going during those dark times. And in fact, my kids, actually, they're really excited about Plex. So they, they, they've been telling their, their friends at school about it. And my son even wants to bring it in for show and tell. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I don't know, but it, it, that's what he said. He's only six years old. Do you know what one thing really happened? I, I just, and I hope he doesn't mind me telling, sort of telling me about this. I, there was a guy called Jason Roberts who set up a company called Tech21. Tech21 is actually, it's one of the few third-party iPhone cases that's available in the Apple store. He really liked what I was doing and I met him through a mutual connection. Actually, he was really encouraging and said, you know what, get your IP sorted. 
And so he introduced me to some lawyers and that was probably the first step. It was making sure that I was protecting the idea that I had to take it forward. It just made the, the subsequent conversations a lot easier to have with other people because you suddenly realize, okay, I've got some protection in place. It's okay. I tell people about this. Yeah, that was a really crucial step. No, that's always a hard one to grapple with, right? Do you do you share your idea and make it grow or do you, you do you wait for IP and IP protection to um, take the next move forward? And what was that process like protecting your idea? It involved lots of conversations with two amazing lawyers, actually. They helped me put together a patent application and we were granted our UK patent just over a year ago. And we have just been granted or will be granted next early next year our European patent. And also we have an American patent pending at the moment. Talking to people about your idea is a really difficult one. You think you can trust everybody and generally I, I absolutely, I'm a very trusting person, but it's interesting when you realize you've got an idea that could be taken forward, you do have to be quite careful. But at the end of the day, you do have to tell people, you do have to open up because if you don't, no one's going to know about it. No one can help you if you don't talk to people. You just have to be, you know, slightly, just a bit clever about it, that's all. Yeah, it goes back to what you're saying. You've got to get it from zero to one. And at the end of the day, ideas that can be dime a dozen, it's all in the execution. And it sounds like you've managed to balance those two very well. You've managed to share the idea enough to get the research projects going, but also get the IP protection at the right time. Yeah, it's nice of you to say I, I have managed to do it. I'm not sure I always feel like I'm winning at it, but I'm not glad you think so. I don't think anyone does, but it, really it does sound like Plex is uh, going in the right direction. And I'm really excited to see what the outcomes of this upcoming trial are. So if anyone who wants to learn a bit more about preconditioning, do you have any resources or recommendations where they can learn about this? Absolutely. So I've published all of my papers on preconditioning, so they are available on, on Google. If people want to find out a bit more about what we're actually doing at Plexa, then please go to www.plexa, that's P-L-E-X-A-A.com. And also feel free to email me. It's Sahil, so S-A-A-H-I-L at plexa.com and I, I answer every email I get. If any of our listeners do want to reach out, is there anyone in particular you want to hear from? Is it doctors, engineers, scientists? Honestly, anybody. One of the things that this journey has taught me is never to be afraid of talking to anyone about your idea because you know you never know what can come of that conversation. So I'm looking for doctors, I'm looking for engineers, I'm looking for investors, I'm looking for people that know about reimbursement. Chief executives of hospitals, you name it, I'm more than game to speak to anybody. Thank you so much, Sahil. It was a real pleasure to have you on the show. Uh, so today we've spoken to Sahil Mehta, the CEO and founder of Plexa. Plexa is a heated insert that is used for in preconditioning of patients with breast cancer. And you can reach out to Sahil uh, if you would like to learn more or would like to get involved. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you so much for listening. If you haven't already, make sure to subscribe, rate the podcast five stars, and share with a friend. If you have any questions or comments, DM us at Backtable Innovation on Instagram, LinkedIn, or Twitter. Backtable Innovation is produced and hosted by Brian Hartley, Aaron Fritz, Diana Velasquez-Pimentel, and Eric Amaker. Our audio team lead is Kieran Gannon, with support from Josh McWhorter and Ness Smith-Savadoff. Design and digital marketing led by Brian Schmitz, with support from Anne Dang. Social media and PR by Chi Dang. And Dana Parker. Thanks again for listening. See you again next week.